Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Protests over the weekend halted an event plan to celebrate the Biden administration's 20-year ban on oil and gas leases on land surrounding the Chaco Culture National Historical Park. Protesters blocked the road to the park where Interior Secretary Deb Holland was scheduled to praise the ban aimed at protecting an area sacred to Pueblo people. The conflict grows out of the strong disagreements with tribal nations on either side. We'll hear some of those arguments coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Why are so many American youth in a mental health crisis? That was the title and focus of a recent U.S. Senate committee hearing. One of the major concerns is social media. KMBA's Jill Freitas has more. U.S. Surgeon General Vice Admiral Vivek Murthy testified at the hearing on the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. Last month, my office released two new Surgeon General's advisories, one on our epidemic of loneliness and isolation, and the other on social media and youth mental health. Together, they explore two important drivers of the youth mental health crisis. Murthy discussed not only the mental health consequences, but also the physical impacts as they get older. About one in two adults are reporting measurable levels of loneliness, and social disconnection is associated with an increased risk of not only de depression, anxiety, and suicide, but also heart disease, dementia, stroke, and premature death. Murthy explained how social media impacts the mental growth of youth around the country and how it can disrupt activities essential for healthy development, such as activity, sleep, and in-person interactions, and also the dangers that social media brings. A third of adolescents are telling us that they stay up until midnight or later on weeknights in front of their screens, and much of that is, in fact, social media use. Kids on social media are exposed to extreme, inappropriate, and harmful content. He was asked if he'd support putting out a Surgeon General's warning out about the dangers of social media, similar to what's found on cigarettes. Murthy said he would support that. Parent and educator involvement, as well as holding social media companies accountable to protect young people, were also discussed. I'm Jill Freitas. And accounting for the U.S. government's Indian boarding school system is the focus of legislation, which recently passed the U.S. Senate Committee on Indian Affairs. KLCC's Brian Bull reports. For over a century, thousands of Native American children were taken from their families and put into schools as part of a broader effort to assimilate them. Cultural practices from long hair to wearing traditional dress were prohibited. Melvin Sheldon is a Tulalip Indian and a Pacific Northwest representative for the National Congress of American Indians. He says many children were also abused. If you didn't learn the language, they would punish you. If you spoke your own language, you were punished. Who knows what other areas that they would punish are young boys and girls as they endured the boarding school experience. The bill would form a commission to investigate, document, and acknowledge past injustices by the federal government in its boarding school system. I'm Brian Bull. A new book explores the history and future of Oneida's relationship with white corn. Lena Tran of Station WUWM reports. In the Oneida language, the word for corn really shows how important it is. Ngonasti really has two meanings. One is our corn, but it also means our precious. In her book, Our Precious Corn, Rebecca Webster explores the relationship between her people and corn. She traces its history and interviews community members, collecting childhood memories and favorite recipes. Throughout time, corn has been a staple in the Oneida diet. 
and an important part of daily and ceremonial life. Corn is the eldest of the three sisters, and she's the leader of those garden plants. And in so many ways, she has led us throughout all of our history. Webster and her husband run a farm on the reservation in northeast Wisconsin, where they grow corn and other indigenous crops. They weren't raised as farmers, and the work didn't come easy. Sometimes there was shame and embarrassment because we didn't have the answers, because we didn't know about these foods. We didn't know what seeds we had, how to best grow them, because that knowledge had been taken from us through colonization, assimilation, and removal. Webster's book represents the latest in her efforts to share what they've learned. I'm Lena Tran in Milwaukee. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. At the beginning of this month, the Biden administration ordered a 20-year ban on leasing public lands for new oil, gas, and natural minerals extraction within a 10-mile buffer zone around the Chaco Culture National Historical Park in New Mexico, a major state for gas and oil development. For environmentalists, tribal leaders, and some Navajo landowners, the order is a significant win after years of advocacy to protect the sacred area. For other Navajo citizens and supporters of natural resource extraction, the order is a roadblock for future projects and a disregard for tribal sovereignty. The order, backed by Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland, does not affect the hundreds of already established wells. The land in question is a complicated network of checkerboard, private, and reservation land. Today we're talking about the competing interests that impact this culturally and economically significant area. You can join us too. Give us a call at one 800 996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have four guests on our show today. Our first guest is Boo Nigren. He's the president of the Navajo Nation. Welcome back to Native America Calling, President Nigren. Hey, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you might be. Yate. Yate to you as well, President Nigren. Joining us from Window Rock, Arizona, we have Bill McCabe. He's the principal of McCabe & Associates, a consulting business for tribal energy resource development and management. Bill is also an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation. Bill, welcome back to NAC. Good morning. Good, Good morning, morning to our audience. Yate. Yate. Joining us in our Albuquerque studio is Maya King-Flaherty. She's the organizing representative for the Sierra Club Rio Grande chapter and also a member of the Greater Chaco Coalition. Maya, thanks for joining us in studio today. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Good morning, everyone. 
And also joining us from Albuquerque, New Mexico, is Mario Atencio. He's the vice president of the Torreon and Star Lake Navajo chapter of the Navajo Nation government. He is Diné. Mario, welcome back to Native America Calling to you as well. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, hey, good morning. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Mr. President, as well. And, and Mr. President, I'd go, like to go ahead and start our conversation with you today. And can you please give us a rundown of the Navajo Nation's disagreement with the federal government regarding this oil and gas leasing ban? Yes, good morning to each and every one of you. Um, as I've mentioned to a lot of people, uh, I'm an Arizona Navajo, Northern Agency Navajo. And one of the things that I've been very strict about is really listening to the uh, local grassroots level leadership. And uh, when this issue came about on my end, um, not being familiar, not being from Eastern Agency, one of the things that uh, that's really key to me is knowing the voices of the local communities and how they think about it and what kind of resolutions and everything that has kind of passed on. So learning a lot about this issue to me was very simple. Whether I liked it or didn't like it or didn't agree with it, what's important to me is the voices of the local people that are affected. So, because when it comes to Navajo, all of us know that we've got 400,000, 27,000 square miles the size of three states, and we represent one-third of all on-reservation populations in Indian country. That's what I think about is when you're the president of the Navajo Nation, you're representing one-third of all people that live on reservations, and that's a big responsibility. And one of the things I think about with Eastern Agency, which is the area that's being talked about, you've got over 30 chapters, and then there's the eight chapters that passed resolutions that um, that wanted a zero buffer zone after the five-mile uh, negotiation tried to happen. And uh, as president, um, like I said, I, I try not to be personal about this. I try to make sure that it's the voices of the local people. Because there are certain scenarios, as you guys are well aware of, I support the Bears Ears initiatives. I support the Grand Canyon initiative that's happening with the Grijalvo out in western Arizona. Because to me, those are the voices of the local people. So what am I supposed to say about the Nav- me as the Navajo Nation president to really make it personal? So as president, I try to make sure that I'm as diligent as possible that the local voices and the communities that are affected are being heard. So... So when it came to this, it was um, it was very simple for me. I was like, what do the local people want? What are they saying? And I was brought to my attention that eight chapters opposed it with resolutions. It's a zero buffer zone since the uh, the the, sec- the the interior department didn't want to budge for five for any types of other negotiations. And then the Navajo Nation Council passed passed its uh, rep- rep- uh, resolution as well, completely opposing it as well. So me as president. I wanted to make sure that we're unified because that's one of the things that has been really tough if you looked at Navajo Nation government is we're not unified over the years. But if we can unite behind common issues that represent the local representation, uh, which is which is key to me, Mm -hmm. the reason why we have chapter government, the reason why we have local government and local input is that's where the voices of the Navajo people are. So one of the things I did, too, is I invited the All Pueblo Council. So. I don't think I don't remember a time when the All Pueblo Council came to the president's office, and I hosted all of them, including Chairman Mark Charles, the vice, I think the governor of Laguna, and a few other governors in my office. And we talked about this scenario, and my response to them was, you know, as president, 
Um, I'm not going to dictate what the local communities want, but what I want you guys to do is that if you truly believe in this 10 mile buffer zone or this 10 mile freeze, you go to the, you go back to the chapters, do the hard work, go to the chapters, go to chapter meetings and really listen to them and have them pass resolutions supporting your 10 mile buffer zone. And then if you are successful at the local level, you have my support. So to me, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, pretty easy and that's what i proposed to the all public council is like you know what you go back to the local level you go talk to them you go get resolutions uh passed for 10 mile buffer zone 10 mile freeze i will support it because that's what the local people want but in this and at this time and place they want zero so so it's kind of a lot of the discussions on my end it hasn't really been personal has it been um this is what i want it's been about what do the what do the communities want because if you think about the eight chapters that represent that, that's thousands of people. Right, uh, right. They're bigger than a lot of large, a lot of Ex- communities within. Excuse the state me, of President New President Nagarin, I, I just I have to interrupt. So just just to confirm, though, as president of the Navajo Nation, you do not support the ten mile buffer zone, right? Don't support. No. It. Okay. I don't and, support it because uh, local chapters don't support it. Right. So, uh, tell us more. I mean. How does this 20-year ban on oil and gas development, how does it specifically affect the Navajo Nation? To me, we, we've had consultations with the Department of Interior, and we asked really specific questions on this before this announcement even happened. Before, And we asked them if you can answer these questions and we can get that information back to them. The questions were, do, does this, so you're telling us that it doesn't affect us economically. So we gave them very specific examples and no responses were answered to them and so that's where it got us worried like well we gave you very specific examples and you don't have an answer for it and then well um what are we supposed to do because right now they it's being played off as nothing's going to happen everything's going to be fine and all these scenarios but through consultation with the department of justice myself and my team we basically we gave them basic questions about okay well if the, your statement is true then what about in these scenarios and those scenarios weren't weren't answered so that's where it, it made it difficult on my part to say well I'm not going to go out there and try to muscle myself against the community because that's the last thing I want to do is completely oppose um, the local input and then the other thing you got to think about too is Chaco is completely within the Navajo Nation. And that's the part that's frustrating to me is, as president, one of the things that that I'm a big advocate on is tribal sovereignty. You know, if the tribe, the the local government, the chapter level, the Navajo Nation Council, the Navajo Nation president completely oppose something, that should mean something. And if this issue is within the borders of the Navajo Nation, then what does that tell you? And that's, that's the basic question I ask. I said, Okay, you can turn my narrative around. That's what I told the all public council. Like, just go back to the chapters. You know, go. go <laughs> okay. Get a, well, President uh, Nigrid, let, let me again. I, I need to interrupt you just briefly here because this is what's so interesting. You mentioned how Chaco Canyon is, sits within the borders of the Navajo Nation. However, the the cultural significance that we keep hearing about it that applies more to Pueblo people than it does to, to your own Navajo people. So, tell us a little bit more about that interaction with the All Indian Pueblo Council because they have a more of a cultural stake in this as opposed to the Navajo Nation, which has more of an economic stake, if I'm not mistaken. I think the stake here is tribal sovereignty. 
Okay. And to me, that's where, like I told the public council, you know, I, I completely get it. I, I, everything that you've proposed to me, go propose it to the local chapters. And if you get approval from the local communities, I will support you. And that was the uh, that was the basis of it because to me it's like um, I don't know I just don't know if they understood government Navajo Nation government and Navajo Nation sovereignty but it's just as if we went to their reservation and started putting bans on whatever they wanted to do without the consent of their government you know, that would be true however like? though Chaco Canyon is a historic site it dates back many many centuries. And it is it is a, a land of deep spiritual significance to Pueblo people. Do you acknowledge that at all? I do acknowledge it. it just the way there's a lot of Navajo sacred sites all over the southwestern area of the of the southwest. What if we started doing the same thing? You know what I mean? We've tried mm-hmm. with um, the the peaks out in Flagstaff. You know what I mean? That was an initiative to where um, we all came together, and obviously that didn't work out for all of us. So I think that's. Uh, so people that paint me as a person that's not not like that, then the other scenario I ask is, well, if this is why why just put the ban on the nation and bring no resolutions or no solutions? You know what I mean? It's like, well, if you really wanted this, then where's the financial backing to support it so the local people feel like they're they're feeling okay? Because the other the other thing before we even get to economics is. And, and President um, Agron, I, I'm so sorry, but we are going to have to take another break. And um, I know your time is limited. Can you join us for a few more questions after the break, or do you have to go? Uh, yeah, I, I, I can stay till. Okay, great. Time. Please, yeah, just please stick with us. Uh, we'll be right back. Angeline Booley returns to Sugar Island and the Firekeeper family in her new novel, Warrior Girl Unearthed. It's the follow-up to her best-selling debut novel, Firekeeper's Daughter. We'll talk with Booley about following the generations of her characters and their culture and the next Native America Calling. You are listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about new protections by the Biden administration for land around the Chaco Culture National Historic Park in New Mexico. Land within a 10-mile buffer zone is off-limits to new gas and oil development for the next 20 years. What do you think about that? Do you have land interests around Chaco Canyon? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. Share your thoughts on air. That number is also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got President of the Navajo Nation, Boo Nigren on the line. And President Nigren, thank you again for sticking with us. And you were talking a little bit more about some of the economic impacts at stake here. Please continue what you were talking about. Okay. Because the reason why I'm, I didn't go off and talk about economics is I just wanted to, first off, set the tone for how things should be done on Navajo, on the initiatives that you want to get done. And the economics part, 
that's one of the things that gets interesting too, too, because just as people are talking about in terms of uh, what's popular, um, to me, you shouldn't force that upon a community that doesn't want to do it. And the first thing I think about is, is, is like you asked me earlier, like you were saying, like, well, President, do you not know the cultural significance of this area? Of course I do. The Navajo people have protected these for hundreds of years. Did you know that? It's like this has been within the borders of the Navajo Nation, borders of the four sacred mountains for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Navajo people have taken care of it. So to me, to even ask that question is a little bit a little bit off on my part because Navajo people hold that place sacred just as well as the other people that that, can, that feel like it's significant because this has been within the borders of the Navajo Nation. If, just imagine if we didn't have, imagine if the Navajo people abandoned this, you know what I mean, and didn't protect it. It probably wouldn't look like the way it looks today. So to me, Navajo people have protected those sites for hundreds of years, and that's why we enjoy it to this day. And so I think that that question shouldn't even be asked next time. The other thing I think about is um, when it comes to the economics, it's like, it's real simple. You know, if you're going to put poverty, people that are in poverty into more poverty, at least come up with a solution to at least supplement their checks. You know what I mean? That's one of the things I'm a big advocate of. All, everybody knows my story of growing up in poverty and alcoholism, sitting in the back of a vehicle, selling jewelry. When you grow up in poverty, you don't want to ever push bully mm-hmm. people into into more poverty. Mm-hmm. So that's my number one stance is, you know, if, you're, if we truly believe in this 10-mile freeze, nothing ever comes out of these freezes that's positive, especially for Navajo. Think about the, okay. the Bennett freeze. We're still talking about the Bennett freeze and President Nygren, what about a compromise? Because some people have proposed a five-mile buffer zone. Would you be supportive of a discussion regarding a five-mile buffer zone? I I am in supportive of anything that the community wants. If the if the that's where I challenge the All Pueblo Council. I said, go to the chapter community. If you get that ten-mile approval, cool. I'm I'm all for it. But last year, five-mile buffer zone was on the table that was passed by the eight chapters that was passed by the Navajo Nation Council and I was supportive because that's the voice of the of what they wanted but then they said you know what we want the 10 mile buffer zone and we're not going to give and then that's when the local communities were like well if there's no give then you put us in a tight spot then I guess we'll pass resolutions for a zero and then council passed a zero and then me as president, I want to make sure I honor the voices of the grassroots people. And I said, well, I guess that's what the will of the local people is zero. So I'm for all zero. So that's where I, compromise has always been on the table on my end. And that's where okay. I advised the all public council. And I said, go do this, go do that, and let's see where it goes. But okay. what was striking to me was it happened so quick. There was like no... Like I, said, I met with the All Pueblo Council the day before Treaty Navajo Nation Treaty Day, the day after Navajo Nation Treaty Day, I get the news through media outlets of what's going on, and to me that was even more disrespectful. I'm like, okay, well, I'm le- I'm learning about this just like every other person in the world. I understand. I understand, President Nigran, and and I'm sorry we have limited time today, and I, and I thank you for sticking around through that break, and 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 I, being so passionate in defense of of your people really appreciate you joining us today. And you mentioned, you know, the grassroots folks and what their thoughts are. And let's go ahead and talk now with somebody who represents that grassroots perspective from the Navajo nation. 
Uh, that's Mario Atencio. And again, he's the vice president of the Torreon and Star Lake Navajo chapter. And Mario, please uh, add to our conversation today and, and tell us, what is your chapter's position on this leasing ban? Well, uh, thank you, and Mr. Shenanda, Mr. President. Appreciate the discussion. Uh, OU, um, in 2019, Torreon Star Lake chapter, along with sister chapters of Counselors and Ojo Encino, pass opposing resolutions to any discussion regarding five mile buffer. And that happened December, December 2019. And in there, um, we say, we stated that the resolution is in alignment with statements and stated positions of the president of the Navajo Nation, the New Mexico Congressional Delegation, and the state of New Mexico Land Commissioner, who all supported a 10-mile buffer zone. And we stand behind that. And so that vote came down to 60, 60, 60 to 0. We took okay. that, and the Eastern Naval Agency Council, which I'm a member of, took up this issue back in 2019. And that resolution did not reach plurality. Okay. The vote I'm sorry, was Mario, 20, can you yeah. tell us then, then why is it that... Uh that uh, this 10-year ban, excuse me, that the 10-year buffer zone, why is it that uh, that you, your constituency supports it, please? We, su we are supportive because we understand incredibly social, cultural impacts oil and gas will have on the community. Okay. Counselors New Mexico has been overrun by oil and gas. My family's land is at mile 11. And we are deeply concerned. This 20-year withdrawal includes the Honoring Chaco Initiative, which is supposed to do larger landscape-level discussion to include my community, my sister communities of Ojo Encino and counselors. There's huge environmental justice impacts. The water on my allotment, where my dad's from, is contaminated probably with PFAS chemicals. We don't know yet. A lot of this has deep public health impacts. And for everybody on the call, there was a congressionally funded Diné ethnographic study to look at this issue and the connections with the net people with Chaco Canyon. In the second volume where they looked at, they talked with Hakathi medicine people who say they are the cultural experts and that they speak for everyone and they say to protect Chaco. That's protect what Chaco. we, yet as a local leader, I listen to those traditional leaders that's in that report okay. and my own people, my own family. Mario, all, with all due respect to the president, you know, it's still, it's still very, not, not everything was said regarding this issue. Okay, okay. Well, you know, and along those lines, I mean, as the president said, I mean, he sees it really mainly as an issue of tribal sovereignty. Uh, do you relate to those concerns regarding the tribal sovereignty issues that uh, President Nigren has voiced? 
in uh, my oath of office, I have to stand up for the sovereignty of the Navajo Nation. First to start off with. But out there, there's Indian country. There's only, the Navajo Nation only has Indian country jurisdiction, just like Oklahoma. And the Navajo Nation sovereignty only extends to those tribal trust parcels. This, what we're talking about, is the BLM land, public lands. And so that, there's 300 million Americans. That's their land that they're talking about. So that's the hard part. And we're trying to get all the land back. And the politics is, do you think now that they're going to do the Navajo Exchange Legislative Initiative through all of this, it's a hard pill for anyone to think and to swallow. Is now, do you think Congress that's in power will give the Navajos the land back through exchange legislative initiative? We don't know. So this is a sort of deeper politics. Mm-hmm. My president, Boone Nigan, really has to consider. And so, not the case. Take it easy. Let's think about this, and let's really think about what's at stake. And I understand what's what this is, but here it goes back to one of the most damaging Indian law law cases on the books: Ling versus Northwest Cemetery Association. It's kind of backwards now. They said, "Don't put a road in; you're going to affect the sacred site." But it's on the BLM land. And over here, we're saying, you know, protect the secret is a no. We, we want to leave the options open for oil and gas development. But it comes down to that ruling in that case. It's in United States lands, and they're going to do what they want with it. And that's probably the hard, hard pill that we have to swallow. So we're in a very weird, gray area of Indian law. Well, Mario... Really appreciate your insights as well into this conversation. Uh, Anyone listening with a question or a comment, 1-800-996-2848. And I'd like to now bring Bill McCabe into the conversation again. He uh, is an energy consultant there, a principal of McCabe and Associates. And Bill, help us better understand the big picture of this issue today. And what does this new ban mean for tribal consultation, especially with the current presidential administration that prides itself on being hugely supportive of tribal sovereignty. Yes, good morning, and, and good morning to our audience. And Mr. President, good morning. appreciate your comments and am supportive of your position on this as well. So, yes, um, again, my name is Bill McCabe. I've been a consultant uh, with, with tribes for over 20 years with regard to energy resource development and management and been in the energy industry, specifically the oil and gas industry for my entire career for over 40 years. So I'm familiar with the process of oil and gas development. And and with that said, um, there, there's a lot of compromise that could go on with regard to development with, within that area, or not, I shouldn't say within the area, but adjacent to the Chaco Canyon uh, National Park and the sacred aspect of that area as well. Um, you know, right off the top, let me, let me just say this, that there, to date, there's been approaching, if not exceeding $100 million worth of benefits 
worth of payments to those Navajo folks, a lot allotment owners that have uh, relied on that that resource um, over the years. You know, I, I live on the reservation right now. I live within the bounds of the Navajo Nation. I took a two-hour drive this morning uh, across the nation to get from one point to another, and and I get it. The the, the expanse of this land is beautiful. It, it it is truly God's country. Great Spirit Creator gave this to us, and and I see the beauty in all this. But also what I see is the desolation of, of what has happened from government practices, historical government practices that, again, are affecting us now. Even to this day, even after our treaty has been established and, uh, and we have consultation and, and other rights that have long been fought for and established and regarded by, by uh, government officials, they, they still tend to step over their bounds of of, of responsibility and oversight. You know, when it, when it comes to the, the, the livelihood of these Navajos, the Navajo people within that are part of this allotment, that, part, that benefit from this resource, where, where is the trust responsibility to those Navajos? Uh, it, it, they, they are awarded that, that trust responsibility as much as the Navajo people within the trust land portion of the reservation south. So, um, this is a big issue uh, when it comes down to the actual buffer zone. You know, 10 miles is far in excess of what is necessary. In, in my opinion, five miles is far in excess of what is necessary. If you if you look at the state of Colorado, has significant oil and gas activity going on within urban areas, close to urban areas. Now, granted, sacred sites and urban areas, two different topics, but within urban areas, within school areas, they have a 2,000-foot buffer zone. I, I, I think that, you know, given the technology that's in place for oil and gas development, 2,000 feet is, is fine. But I think given the sacred aspect of, of the area we're talking about, perhaps a mile would be more than sufficient. But the fact that uh, Secretary Holland came in and uh, what appears to be unilaterally deciding this is how it's going to be, I think is, as, as our president says, highly disrespectful of Navajo people, the Navajo Nation, and our, and our ability to self-govern through sovereignty established by that treaty. And Bill, I'm glad you mentioned Secretary Holland because uh, you mentioned it being disrespectful, but there have also been accusations about conflict of interest with regard to Secretary uh, of the Interior Holland. She has a family member who's a paid anti-oil activist. And also, she has citizenship with Laguna Pueblo. Do any of those factors play into this issue, do you think? I would imagine there's certain sentiments within her, her, her person. But again, she's a government official. At the end of the day, she, as, as the chapter president mentioned, has an oath as well to, to uphold those, those laws of the nation, which include trust responsibility for the Navajo Nation, and not just the Navajo Nation, but our Pueblo brothers and sisters as well. And again, I think, as President Nigren uh, said, is this one day we were discussing this, and the next day there was a, a, there was a ruling. And I think there should have been far more consideration and consultation and certainly conversation as to how this was going to proceed. Bill, we've got to take a break in about another minute, but I, I do want to ask you, I mean, if we project forward over the next couple of decades, what 
is the long-term economic impact here with regard to this ban on the on the drilling here for the Navajo Nation? Well, well, as I mentioned to date, it's, it's approaching, if not in excess of $100 million towards those Navajo allotment owners. And so that those particular proceeds would continue if allowed to do so under without this ban. Now we have uh, now we have to determine how how are we going to uh, continue to uh, survive even. Uh, I, I was thinking about this prior to the call. You, you have folks that you have you have farmers, you know, and there's similar activity really. They're, they're, they're developing their land and the resource and the resource within their land, and, and, and so if, if this ban is going to hold, whereby you have you have the United States government paying farmers not to grow corn, not to grow whatever crop it is. Maybe we ought to consider something similar for the Navajo people that are impacted by this. I okay, think. okay, Bill, we're going to have to take a, another break here, folks. Uh, stay with us, though. We'll be right back. We got a lot more to talk about. This Father's Day, you can give your dad a truly unique gift from SweetGrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support for journalism that raises the awareness of child well-being to citizens and to policymakers provided by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, building a brighter future for children, families, and communities. Information at AECF.org. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're focusing on oil and gas development in and near the Chaco Culture National Historical Park in New Mexico. Give us a call with your questions and comments, 1-800-99-NATIVE. And let's go to the phones right now. We've got several callers on the line. First up is Janine in Gallup, New Mexico, listening on KGLP. Hello, Janine. Hello. Uh, thank you for having me. You bet, Janine. Um, so. I- Feel free yeah, to, I but... wanted to call in to just to just clarify the misinformation that because it's very dangerous and has been seeding the, the divide that we saw yesterday during the event and with the blockade. You know, the Alatis are really scared because of this rep- repetition that this initiative has violated tribal sovereignty and, and further because of things that they're hearing from oil and gas supporters that this is going to lead to a loss of their land and that their land specifically is going to be given to the Pueblos. The development of the buffer zone was not a violation of Navajo sovereignty. Um, I think maybe that this administration was not briefed on all the years of conversation that led to the development of this buffer zone, and that that's, a, that's an issue of Navajo Nation government. Um, but I think it is also important for our legal advisors <laughs> and our lawyers to properly inform a lot about what the buffer zone does and does not. And what the moratorium does not do is it does not affect existing leases. So that $100 million of revenue or whatever the amount is will continue to be viable. This does not affect a Lati's land rights or their ability to develop their allotments in any way they see fit, including if that means entering into new leases for oil and gas. But however, it's also important to note the study that supported the development of the buffer zone already found that the viable deposits of oil and gas within the buffer zone were already tied up in existing leases. It is highly irresponsible for our leader and for the lawyers to be fueling misinformation that is, is pitting our Latis in fear. 
we should be united because sovereignty isn't just about economic benefits. It's about sh- like protecting everything that our ancestors fought for, and that includes protecting our sacred sites. Okay. That includes right. restoring Jeanine, our relationships with the Pueblos. Jeanine, great take, and I really appreciate you calling in. We've got other callers on the line, though, as well as another guest. We have to move along. But again, that was Janine calling in from Gallup, New Mexico. Next, we have Stephanie, who is listening online. Hello, Stephanie. Hello. Um, just wanted to uh, mention first that I live in Colorado in an area that is surrounded by oil and gas. Um, it's, um, and it's, it's terrible to see what is happening in this area. And as far as um, the so-called Navajo Nation president, um, you know, he's kind of working into the whole tribal sovereignty issue as far as um, using it as an excuse to equate it to economic prosperity. When you look at it, it only benefits the few Navajos who benefit from that prosperity. But in the bigger scope of things, as far as our identity as Navajo people, you know, we respect Mother Earth and we try to take care of her. And a long time ago, we were taught to do that. We weren't taught to dig into the earth and unleash this poison that is now doing harm to our people. And not only physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. Families are now fighting with one another. Families are, you know, and it's it's. It's kind of like we're acting like a bunch of bulaganas now as far as, you know, what can I get for myself, forget everybody else and what harm I do to them around me. And then on top of that, we also introduced the aspect of fracking and water. And where are they going to come up with all that water to do the damage that they've already done? And on top of that, the trafficking of human relatives into the area because of the oil and gas industry that's already in the area. So it's like, you know, none of these issues are being brought up. It just keeps going back to tribal sovereignty, but it just seems to be tribal sovereignty is being used as an excuse. Okay. Stephanie, another really good call. Appreciate it very much, listening online. We've got a third caller, Gilbert, who is listening up in Farmington, New Mexico, on KSUT. Hi, Gilbert. Hello. Good morning. Good morning where I'm at anyway. Um, I thank you for letting me have my say. I just want to say that I support, I'm uh, mostly Navajo, part Pueblo, part Spanish. Um, so I have, um, you know, my heart goes out to each each group. Um, my, my concern is uh, Chaco Canyon, you know, oil and gas, you know, the big bad wolf and all that. But remember that 33% of New Mexico money comes from oil and gas. And remember that... Uh, when money is being divided, people have their hands out. And um, as far as uh, oil, oil and gas damaging this and that, Aztec, New Mexico, Bluefield, New Mexico, these are close to where I'm at, so I'm familiar with them. They they have uh, ruins there, and those things are not falling apart. They're not you know, being damaged or being taken care of. And uh, cultural, this and that, you know, that's fine. That's good. My, uh, what I'm wondering about is where were the Pueblo people also when Chaco Canyon was being cleaned up and rebuilt, and that was done by the uh, non-natives and the Navajos. They're the ones that went in there and uh, preserved it. I didn't see, I don't hear of any Kisanis over there uh, <laughs> helping to clean up. You know, you know what I'm saying? So. So, Gilbert, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, you're echoing what President Nigren said earlier. And uh, <laughs> where were the Kisanis back in the day, huh? So, Gilbert, yeah. I, I thank you again. We're going to have to move on, though, because we are pressed for time. And we have another guest. But, 
thank you for adding to our discussion. And let's now talk to our, our fourth guest who's in the Albuquerque studio, Maya. And Maya, thank you for your patience. And I just want to ask you at this point, uh, what needs to be said? What do you need to add to this conversation to make it complete for our listeners today? Yes. <clears throat> well, thank you. And, and thank you for the conversation. But I just wanted to also provide a little bit of context and some of the history here and say that there was already a memorandum of understanding between the National Park Service and the Bureau of Land Management um, that they wouldn't issue any more um, new leasing um, on unleased federal lands anyway. And there has also been a long history throughout the last three administrations that there would be kind of these temporary, temporary moratoriums as well on issuing any new um, leases on lands within the 10-mile buffer, buffer. So there have already been incremental avenues to prevent new leasing. And this, this buffer only applies to unleased federal lands. Um, one of your callers said before that there are already existing federal leases, which there are. There is currently drilling happening in the buffer. It doesn't apply to private lands, state or tribal, and it won't significantly prevent any new wells to be drilled. I think by the BLM's own assessment, it would prevent maybe 100 wells being drilled in the region. And over 90% of these lands man managed by the Bureau of Land Management are already leased for oil and gas drilling. So there's a very small percentage that are unleased. And I would have to say, you know, as Mario alluded to, there are also local people, there is another side of that story, who are heavily affected by oil and gas drilling. And fracking, it's a different technology from conventional vertical drilling. I mean, fracking is its heavily, it's industrialized. There are many um, impacts that are externalized to communities. You have to also consider some of the, um, the emissions that people are exposed to, their impacts to air and water quality. And really, the health and climate costs far exceed any monetary value gained by oil and gas leasing because more fracking will lead to more health and impact problems. And of course, it'll also impact our climate. Um, we are seeing the impacts of more devastating climate events happening. And because fossil fuels development is, you know, on federal lands is is part of um, the problem that we're experiencing. You know, it contributes to about a quarter of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. And protecting public and ancestral lands needs to be a part of that climate solution um, because uh, climate impacts affect everybody. Maya, do you see any workable compromise or, or solution here that could appease both of these really diametrically opposed parties at this point? Um, you know, I, I hope so. And I, I heard what the president was saying. I, I agree that there needs to be a, a solution, um, certainly providing some economic alternatives. Um, but also what we are seeing is this legacy of ex, uh, extractive colonialism. I mean, this, this area was deemed a sacrifice zone in the uh, Nixon administration. And unfortunately, we're seeing the repercussions of that happening today. But I do think that there are some alternatives. And I understand that, you know, um, when you are from a community where there aren't very many um, opportunities, um, you know, to to advance your, your economy, I mean, there need to be alternatives. And I think this this country also has a history um, that we can't can't forget, and I think the government owes um, its responsibility um, to tribal nations to provide other alternatives and avenues for there to be any economic justice. Maya, all you say is correct, but shouldn't the people who live there and the tribal entity make the decisions that affect the people who live there? 
I, I do, but the people that live there also are impacted by drilling. There are two sides to a coin. Um, and, you know, this, this ban doesn't affect the Lattes mineral rights. If they want to continue to um, lease their mineral rights, they have that opportunity to do so. But there are also a Lattes as well who also support the ban. And, um, you know, if you were to talk, you know, Mario is, is from an impacted community mm-hmm. um, who is also an Lattie. And I think has, you know, that that other side, the flip coin of the story, that's also equally important. Okay. And allow me to pivot quickly back to Bill McCabe, because Bill, earlier you mentioned that those $100 million payments and saying that those are in jeopardy. And we've had a caller and now a guest that's uh, saying something different. Can you clarify what will be the status of these payments going forward if this ban sticks? Uh, yes. Thank you again. And so the the existing payments, as as mentioned, would continue, although, you know, there's only a, a well only has so much life to it, you know, 10, 20 years. And so if there is additional uh, opportunities to develop and provide a livelihood for the Alati uh, owners, then that should be available to them. The last caller mentioned that there's probably a hundred, only, quote unquote, 100 wells remaining. If you actually take 100 wells, multiply it by the amount of oil that's probably average produced by those wells and, and take the coin rate today for that for that uh, commodity, that's over a billion dollars. And so this this is the money that will not be available to a lot of Yes, they can go ahead and develop their, their lands, but the, the infrastructure that's necessary to take that product to market would be, uh, as, as the term has been, landlocked. Those, those leases, those allotment areas are landlocked and would not be able to get in and out of those uh, areas in order to um, take the oil, to, to take the commodity to market. So there is a great impact. And what okay. greater impact would there be than to take somebody's livelihood? Bill, thank you for, for that clarification there. I really appreciate it. And Maya, back to you now. And like other environmental issues, it seems this comes down to that classic debate of, of jobs versus the environment. Is that how you see it? And if so, how do we make that balance? Well, it doesn't have to be jobs versus the environment. I mean, there there can be other jobs that don't have, you know, a direct impact that um, got us in the climate, you know, uh, crisis in the first place. We can look to renewables. We can look to other alternatives that don't have to just rely on this type of intensive energy kind of sector. Um, and I think that is the direction that Secretary Holland and this administration um understand very much um and i think there are alternatives i don't have the the solution by any means but i think there is a lot of room to have that discussion um and yeah and 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 equally i mean there i think what is it 40 percent of uh the navajo nation tribal members don't have electricity or wanting water there can also be an opportunity to kind of create that infrastructure so that people at least are being able to kind of um, live, you know, by viable means. But I I do think that there are alternatives out there. Thank you for joining us, Maya. I want to go back to our other guest, Mario Atencio, and he is the vice president of Torreon and Star Lake Navajo chapter. 
Mario, what would you like to add to our conversation? We're going to have to wrap up in a couple minutes. What more needs to be said? What would you like to explain? I think here the alarm bells are going off as local leaders. Last year we hit, we're in a mega drought. We, the leaders, are dealt the responsibility to think about the future. Each well is a hundred is equates to one million gallons of water to frack. Counselors chapter seven hundred acre feet have been used since about twenty thirteen. Our calculations, our napkin calculations, anywhere from twenty to fifty years of water have been used to frack the wells and counselors in New Mexico. That is the great jurisdictional challenge to Mr. President. When you put that in forward to oil and gas consultants, they don't have the responsibility to think like that. They only code a line for the administration, for the ex- executors and the shareholders. We have a duty to the people. Anything else, I think their arguments fall down. All of these things going forward, we have to think about what the water is. Where is it going to come from in the future? Deborah Howland has had to make incredible choices on a national scale. We, at the ground level, have to protect every single viable source of water, and that's groundwater in our area, plus the river water. So that's that's what we leave it. That's that's the great jurisdictional battle. This stuff is smokescreen towards it. Well, with that we're going to wrap up the show, folks. Uh, really, really lively conversation, lots of viewpoints, and that's what we aim to do on issues like this at Native America Calling. We want to give you folks balanced perspectives on both sides of the issue, and then let you folks make the decision on your own. With that, I want to wrap us up today. Thank you to our four guests, President Boo Nigren, Bill McCabe, Mario Atencio, and Maya King-Flaherty, who joined us in studio, and also very much appreciate those great calls we got today as well. Join us tomorrow for a look at Angeline Booley's new book, Warrior Girl Unearthed. Looking forward to talking with you then. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to them that your grandpa's not going to be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.